It's been said that as one grows older, one grows wiser. And I'm finding out how true that is. Um, a good example from my own life is that when my children were young, they would ask me all kinds of questions, and that's natural. They're learning, they're growing up. Uh, unfortunately, um, back then I kept myself way too busy to really take the time to listen carefully to what they were asking, and, and sadly I didn't take enough time to really give them good and thorough answers. Part of the reason why I say that is as, as I grow older, I'm recognizing that the questions they had not only were important, but they were probably some of the easier questions that I would have to deal with in my life. Because the reality is, is now that I'm older and hopefully growing a little bit wiser, I'm recognizing the fact that the questions I have to deal with in my own life and on a day-to-day -day basis are more challenging. Then that's complicated by the fact that uh, uh, I've been called to serve as a pastor and you start to get into other areas of questions, uh, theological questions. Now, I thank God that I don't have to come up with those answers on my own, and I'm very blessed to be able to actually, for many people's questions, point them to specific sections of Scripture uh, where they themselves can find those answers and, and hopefully remember uh, God has the answer for, for all of our questions. But as a pastor, I've also run into the reality that many times the questions that are asked aren't that simple. They're not as straightforward sometimes with the answers. In fact, let me show you an example of sometimes what it can look like when you have a question for a pastor. Excuse me, pastor, are you busy? Actually, yes. I was just on my way out. Oh, well, is it okay if I ask a quick question? Sure. Okay, what do Lutherans mean by the real presence and why are some saved and not others and why do you baptize babies and do dogs go to heaven and do you believe in once saved always saved and what's the difference between Catholic and Christian and Lutheran and where is Jesus mentioned in the Old Testament and what is sin and who wrote the Bible and what do you think of the Da Vinci Code and how can Jesus be both God and man and what's the deal with the Trinity? Yikes! Those are some really tough questions. And the truth is nobody ever does a quick question and throws a dozen hard theological questions at me. But it does remind us that when it comes to life and our relationship with God, there, there are some pretty intense questions that we'd like to have answers to. Which leads in well to today's study as we go through these nagging questions uh, that we've developed as part of this summer, this Trinity series. Maybe it's one of the biggest questions that crosses our minds and does nag at us. Does my life have a purpose? Do I have a purpose? We give thanks to God that our lesson today actually answers that question. King Solomon writes for us, now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. And I'll tell you right now, I've put duty in a different color, and we'll talk about why I did that when we get to that section of our study. I wanted it to stand out on purpose. Now, ordinarily, when we do these studies, one of the first things I like to do is give you the context, the setting of our lesson. That's the only way in which we can fully embrace and understand what God is trying to teach us. And the same is true today, except I want to do it just a little bit differently. I want to actually jump into the text right away and show you how God uses these opening words to set the context for us. So Solomon says, now all has been heard. 
Well, what's he referring to? Maybe by now you've come across some information or you've learned through your study that God blessed King Solomon to be the author or at least a major contributor to three books of the Old Testament. The book of Proverbs, the book of Song of Solomon, and the book of Ecclesiastes. These three books, along with several others, are put into a section of the Old Testament known as wisdom literature. And if you've done any reading or study in any of these books, as well as the other wisdom literature books, you realize how fitting that section of the Old Testament is because they do provide for us great wisdom. And in Solomon's situation, we find that these three books actually serve as a unit of wisdom that not only teach us, if you will, the fuller scope of God's interaction in our lives, but specifically how that worked out in Solomon's life. So let me take a moment just to describe that. The book of Proverbs Solomon wrote when he was young, earlier in his time as king, and that's reflected in some of the things that his blessing of wisdom is shown in what he writes, but then also it's reflected in the fact that at that point in his life and in his service to the Lord, he was pretty much in harmony with God and his will. He was a strong man of faith. Now, over time, God chose to bless Solomon in amazing and great ways. And it's often the case, what happens with us sinful human beings, when God pours out these extreme examples of blessing upon us, we tend to take them for granted, and slowly but surely, we can kind of forget who really is the author of all of this good in our lives. And that's what happened to King Solomon. And it's reflected in this downward and then upward motion of his spiritual life, um, the second book he wrote is the Song of Solomon, and I, I like to refer to it as the book that he wrote in his midlife crisis. That's when he wandered away from the Lord. In fact, some people believe he fully lost his faith, and it, it's quite possible. And if you read through the book of the Song of Solomon, you, you, you might be led to this conclusion because of the struggles he's having in his relationship with his wife. As is often the case with the men God has created, our relationship with the Lord is many times reflected in our relationship with our wives. And you see that clearly in how God led Solomon to write the book, The Song of Solomon. By God's grace, as Solomon nears the end of his life, he was brought back to the faith. Uh, God blessed him to be reminded of his relationship with the Lord and how important that was. And so he writes this third book, the one from which our lesson comes today, the book of Ecclesiastes. And it's obvious it's an old man's perspective on the things that he's experienced and sadly learned through life the hard way. And actually our lesson today comes at the very end of the book of Ecclesiastes. It's kind of a conclusion or a summary of the things that Solomon has had to learn as wise as he was and he recognizes that there's only two ways that we live, that we exist in this world. Either we uh, live in this world with the Lord, or we live in this world without the Lord. There are no other options. And through difficult circumstances and sometimes hard learning, Solomon realized that the only fulfilling way to exist in this world and to actually live is to have a close, loving relationship with the Lord. This is the context then in which these concluding thoughts are written by inspiration of the Holy Spirit through King Solomon and comes our lesson today. I'd like to take just a few moments to give you just a little bit more background and context on the book of Ecclesiastes, the place from which we study our lesson. 
An Introduction to the Book of Ecclesiastes King Solomon, who ruled over Israel from Jerusalem, wrote this book. Ecclesiastes contains twelve chapters. In chapter 1, Solomon discusses the futility of human activity. In chapter 2, he looks for meaning in life by evaluating his many pursuits. Solomon writes that pursuing wealth and magnificent accomplishments is like chasing after the wind. Chapters 3 to 6 present observations by Solomon that help us cultivate godly wisdom. He shows that there is an appointed time for everything. He encourages hard work, and he extols the benefits of friendship. He refers to the enjoyment of food and the rejoicing over one's work as the gift of God. Chapters 7 to 11 provide a sobering discussion of life in this world. Solomon observes that life is short and that man needs to use his time, energy, and resources in the best way possible. In chapter 12, he encourages young ones to make wise choices before the challenges of old age arrive. Then he sums up all that he discussed with the words, Fear the true God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole obligation of man. So as you see, the opening words of our lesson actually help to establish the context for the rest of this lesson. By God's grace and the gift of his wisdom, but more so through a lifetime of experience and oftentimes learning things the hard way, Solomon comes to these conclusions, and that's what he's doing here with this verse. He's summarizing the most important one. And what he does in the summary is to teach to us and answer the question, what's my purpose? And he does that with a two-part answer because it's a difficult and sometimes nagging question. Then God blesses him to offer us this complete answer. The first part of that answer, Solomon says, fear God. That's our purpose, or at least part of it. Now, that seems simple enough on the surface. I should fear God. It's simple until you recognize the fact that this word fear is used differently in the original language than how we tend to use it in our own English language. Oftentimes, when you talk about fear, two thoughts come to mind for us. One would be the concept of being afraid of something or someone. It, it frightens us. And if it's not applied that way, then usually the alternate meaning is translated as respect. And basically what it teaches us is the second table of God's law, that he wants us to live in a relationship with each other, the same way that God has chosen to live in a relationship with us. He created us as his greatest creatures, and as such, he wants us each to respect each other's um, as a gift from God and, and to treat each other as God treats us. Now, in some ways, you need to understand that the word that Solomon uses has aspects or, if you will, little flavors of these concepts, but that's not at all the way that he's using this Hebrew word. In fact, the Hebrew verb that Solomon chooses to help us understand the first half of the answer to the question, what's my purpose, is the Hebrew verb yara. And it has a unique meaning. Um, it, it literally means to tremble or to tremble from joy, which is a concept in our English way of thinking that is difficult to understand until we use an illustration. And the illustration I like to use is the idea of standing at the foot of a huge mountain range. 
and just looking at it and taking it in and, and recognizing its massiveness. Or maybe standing on the shores of the vast, seemingly endless ocean and, and the power behind those waves and, and, and just how big this is and sometimes how little we are. It's almost impossible to stand there and see these things and not simply be amazed at their bigness and the power behind them. We, we should really translate this verb yara as to be in awe of or to be amazed by. And, and if you will, it, it would cause us to tremble, tremble not from fear, but because we are so amazed, because we're so filled with joy at, at what has now been laid out before us. Now, here's what Solomon does. He takes this concept of being in awe of God's creation, and then he applies it to God himself. That while these things are amazing, they're still not as amazing as the one who created them. And as Pastor Abrahamson reminded us last week, God has created an entire universe that is without limits. Uh, and time itself goes on forever. We call it eternity. God has created these things, not just as concepts, but as realities. And they prove to us that he truly does exist, chooses to interact with us, and, and wants an eternal relationship. There is no way to see these inventions of God, these creations, and not have our jaws hit the floor and contemplate the bigness of God, the, the greatness of God, the power of God that he can make these things. And then add to that one more aspect. He's in control of all of these things. And he tells us that he controls them for us. If that doesn't make us tremble for joy, understanding both the power and the grace behind our loving God, then Yara would be forever lost on us. And it took Solomon a long time to get his wise brain around the reality that this is who God is. But that's only part of the answer. Solomon says the next part, or the last part, is keep his commandments. What he's teaching us is that all of these things that God does comes from one special place, his heart. This phrase, and keep his commandments, screams at us how much God loves us. Now, I know to our human ears, whenever we hear these phrases about keeping God's commandments, and whenever we review the list of things God would have us do or not do, and, and how Scripture teaches us that we were created to follow these rules, if you will, in perfect obedience to a holy God, usually the last thing that comes to our minds is love. But this is where I would like you to tell the sinful nature part of your head to be quiet. We all need to make sure that that part doesn't get in the way of what King Solomon is saying. And what the Holy Spirit does through these words is actually invite us to listen with the new man part of our hearts. Because in reality, that's this is not what God is talking about. There's a list of rules I want you to follow, and if you don't, I'm going to be angry with you. What God is speaking about is something very unique and special. He's saying, I want these things for you. I created these things for you, and I created you for these things for one reason and one reason only, and that's because I love you. Now, how do we get that out of this phrase, keep my commandments? It has to do with the reality of the word that Solomon chooses to use when he re talks about keeping them, shamar. 
and it most literally talks about putting a barrier or a hedge around something. And what God is asking of us is the completion of an act that he began in us and for us. That God, out of his great love, has established these things, has given his commands, has issued ordinances for no other reason than to protect us, to guard us, to show us how much he loves us. We get this concept because we practice it in our own lives. When we are given the gift of children, or if there's somebody in our life that we love very dearly, one of our chief goals is to protect them from harm and to make sure that they can live a long and happy life. It's because we love them that we make hard choices, and sometimes we have to do things that we're not comfortable doing or say things that are difficult to say to our loved ones because we don't want to see them hurt or we don't want their existence to be anything less than what God created for them to enjoy and to be. And this is what King Solomon has come to realize, is that God has put this amazing hedge, this barrier around us to protect us, to care for us, only because he loves us. And honoring these things, hearing these things, understanding these things is one of the reasons for which God created us. He wants to enjoy with us an eternal relationship of love. And he wants us to enjoy an eternal relationship of love with him. And so he's given us his commands not to rule us, but to rescue us, to guard us, to protect protect us. And if there's ever any doubt that this comes from God's heart of love, then one only need to consider the promise that God has made in order to make these commands what they were always designed to be, this hedge of love. One only need to look at our Savior's cross and understand that God the Father chose to sacrifice what meant most to him from eternity, the relationship with his own son, to sacrifice that so that each of these commands could be completely fulfilled for us and so that ultimately nothing would stand between him and us and him putting around us this hedge of protection, this barrier of love. Solomon had to find out the hard way that this is what God had in store for him. This is how God had designed him and that what God ultimately wanted for him and from him, what God had purposed for him was everything to enable Solomon to enjoy an eternal relationship of love with the God who created him and took care of him. Now, that's not completely what the answer that Solomon gives regarding purpose is about. Because he goes on to say, for this is the whole duty of man. And this is now where I can tell you why I put the word duty in this different color. And most English translations you run into will have this word duty, or maybe it'll use an alternate term like obligation. But the reality is, is that word is not in the Hebrew. It, it, it was added by translators in order to somehow help us get our head around this concept of what God through Solomon is talking about. If we do this the right way and take the word duty out, it's the word whole itself that explains this motivation of God's love. He's saying, I have purposed you, I've designed you, I created you for one reason, to be this complete thing, this whole person. And the only way for that to happen is for my love to touch your life and to touch your heart. And then you can ultimately fulfill the smaller purposes or the earthly reasons why I created you in the first place. 
It's out of love, but it's in order to fulfill a specific role or task or slot in this life, not only in your own personal life, but in your relationship with others so that they can enjoy you and you can enjoy them as together you enjoy your God, your creator, your protector, your savior. You have to understand what Solomon is trying to tell us something that he struggled to understand himself, the wisest man to have ever lived, that God's whole purpose for our lives, that God's whole purpose for our existence was so that he could be with us and we could be with him. Which raises the nagging question then, well, pastor, so then what's my purpose? Do I even have a purpose? Because there are times in our lives where that nags at us. There are times in our lives where we do seem to be just kind of wandering along. We have questions to which we can't find specific answers, or we have goals that we can't seem to achieve. What's the deal? What what does God really want for me? Well, it's kind of like those original quick questions. They're complicated, and, and so is the answer. And this wasn't as complicated in the sense that it's really a two-part answer, and it's based on Solomon's answer to us. But then there's other factors as well that we'll have to take into consideration. What is, what is your purpose? Do I have a purpose? The overwhelming answer is yes, but how do we know? Well, the first part of the answer is that God is sovereign. That means he's all-powerful. It means his will is perfect. It means he does what he wants. It's standing at the foot of a mountain going, oh my goodness, You are amazing. Our jaws do hit the floor as we stand in awe, not only at the power of God, but at the grace and mercy of God, that he would choose to give us these things, but that he would also choose to make us part of his existence. And God's sovereign will is that his plan, his purposes are going to get done one way or the other, and man cannot prevent it. It's comforting to know that, that God is in control. But then God chose to complicate that by creating a creature, creating us with a free will. That's how man was created. So differently than the rest of creation, so differently than all the other creatures, he said to this one creation, he says, I want you to be able to choose to follow my commands, to show your love for one another. I want you to be able to choose to show your love for me and to receive my love from you. Now, we know that was destroyed when Adam chose to rebel against God. But God wasn't done there. Not only did he make the promise of rescue, but every time he brings to us through the Holy Spirit the gift of faith, what he does is recreates within us the ability to make godly choices. As a child of God, you have had restored to you this amazing, beautiful, original creation of free will. And though this seems a bit complicated, understand why God did this. He wanted to make your eternity both exciting and interesting. And part of that process was to give you the ability to choose. Jesus makes reference to that after encouraging his followers to trust that God loves them and takes care of them. He says, part of this I'm putting into your hands. Either you can choose to live your life here with God's love, or you can walk away from it. Once you've been given that gift of faith, I give you this choice. Please don't misunderstand. Without faith, you have no choices when it comes to God. As 
people without faith at one time, we were only children of the devil, and our sinful nature wanted nothing to do with God, and we hated God, and we did everything to get away from him. But once that gift of faith was given, God said, not only do I love you, but I want to give you that power back. I want to give you your choices back. Now, how does this play out in purpose? Well, individually, God has wired us. God has equipped each and every one of us for specific roles, for specific places in this life. And sometimes the challenge is understanding what that is. And then part of the purpose of our lives and part of God's purpose, he says, this is what's going to happen. Whether you follow or not, I have plans that I will fulfill. And the way that this works out and the reason why this ends up being complicated and why sometimes we struggle to know our purpose, our specific purpose for this life, is because of sin. Sometimes it takes an entire lifetime of searching, of struggling, of clawing, much like King Solomon, to fully realize what God designed us for. And what specific role does he have for me in this world right now? And it's also complicated because of the sinful nature and because of Adam's first rebellion against God. There are times that we think our idea of a good purpose for this life is much better than God's idea of our purpose for this life. God says, I have this plan for you, and we rebel like our first father and say, well, our agenda is a whole lot better than yours, God. And it always puts us in this desperate situation that King Solomon found himself in, wandering away from the Lord, going through not only a midlife, but a full-life crisis, and slowly but surely needing to come to the realization that life here without God, it's meaningless. It's like smoke. It comes and it goes. Plus, if that wasn't enough to have to struggle with, then we have the reality of situations of the world much like what we're dealing with today. Because it's not only us and our purpose, it's an entire world filled with purpose, designed for specific reasons. We are living through the reality that sinful man in his rebellion doesn't want to do things as God purposed them, as God designed them. But it also now offers us, as the children of God, the very opportunity to live up to our purpose that Solomon has just clearly taught to us, to understand that God is sovereign. He is in control, and he controls according to his grace and according to his mercy. And though sometimes we struggle to see that, God assures us that's what is behind all of this. And even though the world is now choosing up sides for this and for that and is struggling to find its purpose, is even rejecting God's design, it offers us the opportunity to exercise our faith to recognize why God created us, how God created us, and to strive, even in our earthly day-to-day -day lives, to actually live for the reasons God made us, both in our interactions with him and in our interactions with each other. Now, here's one more thing that we have to talk about to understand all of what Solomon is saying, and it has to do with the example of our epistle lesson. A lot of times, because of the sinful nature and because of the sinful world, where our greatest struggle comes in is not fully knowing or completely understanding what is God's purpose for me in my life and what is God's purpose for you in your life. And this is where the real test of faith comes in because God says, I want you to know I made you for a specific reason. Like with Abraham, he came to Abraham and he says, I want you to pick up your whole life, uproot everything, and go. 
And nowhere along the line did God seem as if he felt it necessary to explain to Abraham why he was doing this or how ultimately this would all work out. All he did was say to Abraham, go, take your family, but go. And at a certain time, I will fully reveal to you not only how this will be a tremendous blessing to you and your family, but to others and the entire world as well. Abraham serves as an, exact, an excellent example of faith because he didn't stand there questioning God, well, will you please explain to me how this works out? Nor did he rebel against God and go, I think I've got a better plan. He simply listened to the Lord's command and he went. And the way in which God purposed all of that and how God chose to use it is that Abraham became the first in the family line of the very answer to the promise God had made to our parents who rebelled against him in the first place. Through individual lives of many designs and many specific and unique purposes, Abraham became the first of many that God used to bring into this world in true flesh and blood his very son who would be sacrificed in order to rescue us from our sins. But you need to understand that this is more than just a theological thought or some religious idea. This is real life. And God wanting us to understand and know that nothing happens to you. Nothing happens to his children. Nothing happens in this world without him allowing it to happen. And all he asks of us is to go oftentimes without question, and even though we don't know or understand how it all is going to work out, God says, this is your opportunity to trust me. This is your opportunity to know and understand how much I love you. And so when the nagging question comes to mind for each and every one of us, as it does, maybe at different points in our lives, maybe different days where we do struggle, and we wonder, what? going on? What's all of this for? What's my purpose in all of this? Do I even have a purpose? God uses Solomon after a lifetime of experience to tell us the answer that we need. Yes, you have a purpose. I have specifically designed you out of love to serve me in my kingdom for a specific reason. And today you may not know, but one day you will. And what he wants us to understand as we strive sometimes to fulfill that purpose and struggle sometimes to understand it, is that it's an awesome God who has given us this design and purpose. And it's an amazing God who's given us this purpose because he loves us. Today, God offers us an opportunity to be wiser than King Solomon and not take a whole lifetime of experience, of learning the hard way to realize that for us, God has his purpose. I grew up in England. My dad was in England his whole life um, and, until he was about 40, and then we moved to the States. But when he was a young man, he would do a lot of work in the coffee shops in Liverpool, um, pretty tough spots, actually, and all the hippies would hang out there. And, and he tells the story about one day going into one of these coffee shops, and it was all hippies, young 18, 19, 20-year-old kids. And one boy sat down at his table and looked at him and said, what are you doing here? And my dad says he had flowers in his hair, and it had been so long since he'd washed his hair that my dad wondered if the flowers were actually growing there. <laughs> 
<laughs> he said, well, I'm here to have conversations with you guys. And the guy said, well, what do you want to talk about? And my dad said, well, you know, life and why we're here and purpose. And, and the guy looked at my dad and he started to laugh and he goes, purpose? And my dad just said, so why do you think you're here? I mean, why are you on the planet? Why are you taking up space? The guy looked at him and he said, you know what, my parents told me I was an accident. And because of the way I live my life, I'm assuming that my life uh, will end in an accident too, that my death will be an accident. And so the way I kind of see my purpose is I'm, I'm an accident suspended between two accidents. My dad took out his Bible, he had it with him. He had like a little pocket Bible with him. He went to Psalm 139. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Doesn't sound like an accident to me. It sounds like incredible purpose that every single day that you live, God ordains it. Yeah, my dad shared the gospel with him, walked the whole way through it. And my dad said, does that make sense? He goes, well, the story makes sense, but something doesn't. And my dad said, what? And he said, I don't think you really believe that. And I said, why would you say that? And he said, because if you really did believe it, you would have been down here before now, and you wouldn't leave till all of us had agreed. And he stood up and walked out. It was a stunning moment for my dad. I know a lot of people struggle with this. A lot of people look at life and it seems purposeless meaningless. The Bible teaches us that it's anything but meaningless. There's tremendous purpose in life.